You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 329 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and uh, with no rundown whatsoever, no notes whatsoever, I bring on Jeff Siegel for today's, po- for today's podcast. What's up, Jeff? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, it's a Tuesday evening. It's earlier than normal. Uh, I uh, sort of last-ditch effort decided to uh, try to beg you to come on the podcast, and uh, with that said, um, not too much to talk about specifically here on this fine evening. Um, you know, it's sort of that weird, that weird part of the season where uh, the trade deadline is the focus, but we're also still, you know, more than two weeks away from it, so um, I don't know. The big thing is All-Star tonight, but uh, the Hawks don't have any All-Stars. Uh, breaking news, folks. The Hawks do not, do not have anybody making the Eastern Conference All-Star team, um, so uh, I don't know. How you feeling, man? If the league took all-stars from the teams that are not currently in the playoffs, would the Hawks still not have any all-stars? Uh, it would depend I on who was voting. I almost think they should. It would depend on who was voting. Um, I'm sure Dennis would get some votes based on if people just look at his counting stats. Uh, I'm waiting for the first person to tweet me, and maybe it'll happen on the podcast, asking me why Dennis, because he's averaging 20-7, and seven, is not an all-star. Um, but I don't know. I have to look at that. Actually, It'd be interesting to see if the Hawks could still find. I'm not. I mean, who's the best player on the Hawks? I mean, for me, it's Dwayne Dedman, but he also hasn't had the resume yet because just he he got injured for for a few weeks there. Right. So like, I mean, talent wise, it's probably Dedman. But then, like maybe like value to a contender wise, it's probably Ursan Ilyasova. But we'll get into that when we get into trade stuff. Yeah, I mean, you have. I mean, Dennis has the numbers. Collins has been the best on a permanent basis in terms of efficiency and the advanced stuff. Uh, Prince is interesting, all that stuff. But uh, that's kind of the problem right now is that you don't really have even the guy to stake your claim in uh, and even hope for. Um, with that yeah. said, um, I do want to ask you a little bit about yesterday's game, Monday's game, because I know we talked throughout it, even uh, mostly offline, um, and the Hawks ended up winning by 14 points. Did you see anything worth um, sort of diving into in depth on that game? I know it, the first half was basically one that you want to just light on fire and never watch again, but obviously the second half was a lot more fun. Yeah, I think Torian Prince was the was the, the key person to watch in last night's game just in terms of him getting out of whatever slump he was in. Um, we've seen sort of theories and, and reasoning as to why he was sort of down the last few weeks i know i saw him in person like dislocate that finger in la and then but then he played the next night and he's been playing ever since so like that didn't seem to have anything to do with it but you never know how those things sort of affect guys as they as they sort of continue to recover but still need to play every day um but it was really great to see him just sort of get back into what we had sort of we, we had grown to expect from him uh as as the season has sort of gone on but I think other than that, it was just sort of, you know, the, the Hawks caught the Jazz on a, on a really, really down night for Utah, and they just couldn't score. And, you know, during that sort of third quarter, fourth quarter run, the Hawks, I mean, it wasn't even, you know, a major outburst in offense. It was really just sort of the Jazz, you know, forgot how to put the ball in the basket for a little while. Yeah, I mean, they they played terrible. The Hawks took advantage of that, which was good. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things. Uh, Bud did mention the finger uh, sort of offhand, but also said it wasn't an excuse for Torian. I was the one that asked uh, sort of what happened with Torian, and 
um, and just basically through through a positive lens, talking about how he had, he actually played better in this game. And Bud, sort of uh, in as part of his response, did mention the finger and how that kind of wasn't an excuse. And he had to play through things. I'm still not sure how much the finger had to do with it because you know the two games after the finger he played very well, and then suddenly wasn't after that. So I can't imagine they got worse, and that was all of it. But you know, Prince played very very well on Monday against the Jazz. And, you know, aside from that, uh, the only other guy I thought played, you know, much, much better than normal was Malcolm Delaney. I thought he was very, very good in that game. But, of course, his stuff's more always going to be more understated unless he just explodes as a shooter. But, you know, eight assists, and I thought he played really well too. Yeah, yeah. He was definitely the better of the two point guards uh, down the stretch last night or just, you know, throughout the, throughout the entire game. And just the fact that he's sort of back to playing point guard is – relatively noteworthy because a month ago he wasn't and then a month ago before that he was and it's just been he's he's had a, a bit of a roller coaster year just within the team itself yeah for sure and uh this is sort of going to be unfair to you so i'll let you take a second on it um but you know obviously with that with that win the hawks are now not in the uh in quote last place or first place in the tanking race the kings have a stranglehold and the kings are in the news and we're gonna talk about the kings a little bit here in a second but um where do you think the Hawks actually finish, you know, gun to your head right now? It's basically impossible because we don't know who's going to get traded. But I mean, I saw a lot of people freaking out. You know, with, with every win, I get, I probably get five tweets about people like really, really upset that the Hawks won a game. And it's like, guys, they're going to win. They get, they're not going to lose the rest of their games. Like, they're going to win some games. I understand the tanking stuff. Trust me, I was the one arguing for it basically before anybody else that the Hawks should be rebuilding. So I understand the value of them losing games this year and getting a better draft pick. With that said, um, I think it's probably realistic to say that they've been better than their record so far. You know, they're 14 and 32. Their net rating is much better than that. When you look at uh, basically like a, like a minus four, minus five, somewhere in there, which is still not a good basketball team. But uh, for instance, the Kings are the worst team in the league on both ends of the floor, so they have a prohibitive lead, I'd imagine. But you think the Hawks are still in the mix for the you know to finish number two, number three? Because it's important to note, of course, that uh, finishing number two, number three does not mean you're picking number two or number three. You could still pick number one. You could, you could drop down. Uh, that's the nature of the lottery. But how are you feeling about the sort of the season long? stuff right now yeah it seems it seems third makes the most sense like third most ping pong balls uh, sacramento like you said is the worst team in the league on both sides of the ball which is like just like that doesn't happen very often so they're like one of the maybe five to ten worst teams we've ever seen so like they should theoretically get this to get the most ping pong balls um and then orlando is another team that started out eight and four and has maybe won like two games since then. I know it's probably been more like five, but it's, they are awful. Yeah, they're bad. Um, they're so much worse than the Hawks. And so they sort of feel to me like they're going to get the second most balls and then the Hawks will come in after that. Yeah, that seems about right. I'd be surprised if the Hawks finished second now. You know, granted, with that said, they could certainly dip back into that range if they trade a lot of people at the deadline. I think you know it's probably safe to assume, and we'll transition now into the deadline stuff. Um, that the Hawks are going to make a deal of some sort, whether that be just for Bellinelli or Ilyasova, or you know somebody's going to get traded. I'm pretty confident in that between now and February 8th. Um, but you know, sort of pinpointing who that's actually going to be is the, is the tough part. Uh, the latest the, the latest thing that's out, actually out there was David Aldridge on Monday reporting that Kent Bazemore has uh, actually had some interest from the Cavs. Of course, the Cavs have their own sideshow of uh, of, great, of great esteem right now, talking about you know George Hill and Isaiah Thomas is now in trades and the Kevin Love saga on Monday. All that just absolute wildness uh, in, a, in a lot of ways here. But, uh, I mean, what did what, you think about Baysmore? Obviously, you were the one that actually wrote that up for Peachtree Hoops. What did you think of when, when you saw that? Because it, it didn't surprise me, but the fact that it was reported by a major source like that was also sort of eyebrow-raising. 
Yeah, I think it makes sense that the Cavs might be in for for Bazemore just because they need guys who are sort of two-way-ish wings who can play. You know, you can put Bazemore out there against the Warriors and not feel like, oh my God, this guy's going to get killed on either end. You know, they have to guard him a little bit. He can make some plays. He can play some modicum of defense. Like, you could have him, like, chase Clay around screens or even, like, sort of try to match up with Durant and, you know, if you if you really had to. You know, especially if LeBron really is wants to play that sort of center field role that he likes to do, uh, where he guards Iguodala and sort of does some other stuff. Um, so it's not it doesn't surprise me that the Cavs would want to inquire about Bazemore as to what what the Hawks would want in return. They would, you know, obviously that means helping the Cavs in a, in a potential matchup against the Warriors. They're not just going to take Channing Frye and Amon Shumpert in a second round pick like they like rumors have been sort of swirling around a package for George Hill. I think the uh, I think the Hawks would want more than that. I mean, I think they would either want, you know, maybe the Cavs' own first-round pick, since the Cavs have the Brooklyn pick. That Brooklyn pick, obviously, is not enough for Bazemore, but, uh, or is too much for Bazemore, is what I'm saying. Um, but the first-round pick, maybe, from the Cavs, since that'll be somewhere in the, you know, 25 to 30 range, unless the Cavs continue to suck. But... Um, <laughs> And then, or they could pick up like Chetty Osman, who is sort of, you know, he's he's raised some some, you know, he turned some heads, is what I'm trying to say there. Um, he's turned some heads as sort of a guy, a younger guy who you know might have some value. Ante Zizic doesn't really seem to have any value. He's another young guy on their team, first round pick though, at least. So you have more team control, um, but he doesn't really seem to be ha- you know have much value at all. Uh, so it's sort of, I think the Hawks would probably try to wait that out and see if they can get, you know, a little bit more than, than just, you know, a couple of salary dumps and, and a second round pick, but, you know, we'll see what, uh, what Schlank wants to do there. Yeah, I do think it, it, all, it all comes down to just how badly the Hawks want to be off of Baysmore's contract. Cause we, you know, we've all, we, we talked about this a hundred times, but it, it's a negative asset, but at the same time, Kent is playing well and, uh, you know, on the open market, I think Kent's probably worth twelve million dollars a season, something like that, maybe ten. Yeah. I think it's at least I'd be 10. working. I'd, I, I'd been working with eleven. So yeah, that sounds about between right. Between twenty to ten and twelve yeah. sounds good to me. So like, but Kent, I mean, it's also something that they they've been trying to get off of that contract, or I don't know that they've been trying to, but it would make sense that they've been trying to get sure. off that contract pretty much since the summer. And if this is, it's a very difficult thing to do. But if this this is might be like the perfect opportunity where the team. It's not a salary dump because the team actually wants him, and the team the, for the Cavs he has a lot more value than eleven million dollars a year. He is probably properly paid for them because there's no other way for them to get somebody in that eleven million dollar range because they're so far over the tax and they've got all sorts of other concerns. So they, you know, that's if for the, for this specific situation he's probably properly paid for the Cavs, but even though he's overpaid, sort of in general. Yeah, and it's uh, going back to that. It's uh, it's difficult because. If the entire thing is, if you're if you're Travis Slank, you just do not want to be beholden to that contract, then you might honestly be willing to take that that Shump Fry and a very small asset package because Shumpert's deal is only one more year and Fry's an expiring contract. So you, you know, worst case scenario, you're turning a three year commitment into Kent Bazemore, so you know, two and a half, I guess, two more years that big money, you know, more than thirty seven million over two years, and e- even in the worst case, if you get nothing out of the other asset. 
you know, Shump's only owed $10 million. So you're turning $37 million guaranteed into 10. And Bazemore's a better player than Shumper. Nobody would dispute that. But, you know, if, if the entire goal was to get off the money, then you actually might consider just doing it as, as, kind, of, as kind of constructed there, just in the way that George Hill looks to be sort of floating out there. Obviously, it would be better if you can get Cleveland's first-round pick or even Osman. Um, but... That's something you have to at least consider. I do think uh, it feels like in the last day or so that Cleveland is centering on George Hill and even in the last couple of hours, um, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think George Hill, I don't know if he's necessarily been better than Kent Bazemore this season, but his track record is better before this year, and uh, maybe it's more it's some more insurance for Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, the asking price is probably pretty low because Sacramento is even in a worse spot than Atlanta. They definitely want to get off George Hill more than, I think, more than Bazemore um, in Atlanta, which is kind of a funny sentence because George Hill just signed, you know, five months ago. And I think Sacramento's uh, desire to get off of him is stronger than Atlanta's would be to get off Bazemore. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not expecting that to happen. I don't, I don't, I don't think Ken's going to get moved. People, people have been asking that. If I, if I were to guess, I think it's pretty unlikely he gets traded, but it's certainly not impossible in Cleveland pretty much of all teams that are in the market makes the most sense because of the, what, because of what you mentioned, they don't really have another, another way to add a wing and they definitely need another perimeter guy on this team. Yeah. I think Cleveland, I mean, all the content, like the contenders could obviously use him, somebody, Houston, Golden State, it's just salary Cleveland, with those teams, but though. it's, yeah. yeah, it's more difficult with those teams because they don't have the, the sort of flotsam salary that they're willing to get rid of. Houston might, but it would, t- you know, that might be a little bit, uh, that might take a little bit more doing on their part. And I'm not sure that they want to sort of impede their books this summer because they've got high aspirations of yes. Chris Paul and LeBron. <laughs> and they've got some some lofty aspirations for sure. And so I think Baysmore would sort of uh, cramp that down a little bit. But they could, uh, you know, they could they could look into that if they want to. But I think, I mean, the more, the, the, the longer Baysmore stays on this team, it feels like the the higher his value seems to go this season. You know, over the summer, we were probably thinking of him as like a six to eight million dollar a year player, maybe on the high end, like eight ish. And so now he's already up to like 10 to 12. And, you know, as, as he sort of continues to almost take over the sort of leadership role slash, you know, he's learning how to be a playmaker this year and like all sorts of sort of new tricks that we've seen from him this year. You know, I think his his value may even go up a little bit obviously his contract also goes up you know the next couple of years so it's you know it'll sort of tie in with that but you know it wouldn't surprise me if we're sitting here a year from now going like yeah he's he's a solid starter 14 15 million dollar a year player yeah and i mean after this if, if the hawks hold on to him through the deadline um you know after this he's owed it's two years and a total of about 37 million dollars of course the last year's a player option but everyone just assumes that he's going to pick it up because he because he should but still i mean I don't know. If, as long as you get into it, the, the less pain usually is required to trade a guy like Bazemore. But, you know, also at the same time, he's playing the best basketball he's played in a couple of years right now. So maybe you're, quote unquote, selling high, even if you're not selling high, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Yeah. And I, I you're think selling higher than you would have sold over right. the summer, even exactly. though it's sort of still selling low in terms of his over, you know, in terms of where he's, his stock was in 2016. Yeah, or 2015 or whatever. And it's complicated just because of all the factors. I think if the Hawks make a move for Bazemore, it's going to be a complicated move just because of how much money he's making and the teams that are uh, in, the, in the running for him. So I think it's still unlikely that it happens, even if it's definitely interesting to think about. Same thing with Dennis Schroeder. Without, I mean, there's obviously 
no reporting on that, but people ask me all the time. I'm sure they ask you as well about Dennis and whether he could be on the trade market. I think he certainly would be available. I don't think the Hawks are necessarily just openly shopping him in the way that they are with, potentially with Baysmore right now. But sure, he's even more complicated because he's it's it's an it's an extra year on that contract. Uh, the point guard market is very impacted. Whereas wings, everybody needs wings. Um, whereas Dennis Schroeder. You have to find a team that needs a point guard desperately, and the teams that don't have point guards are usually bad. So it's it's sort of a, I think it's more likely that you see a Dennis Schroeder trade in the offseason than you do in the season. That's just my hypothesis on that one. Yeah, I think you would want a team who either recently hired or would hire this summer a new GM who somehow sort of falls in love with Dennis and and you know the, and the Hawks can can get off of that contract. Though it's not. I mean, it's it's hard to, to know how negative Dennis's contract is because it's really just a night to night effort based thing with him. If he's locked in, then he's a you know twelve million dollar year point guard, and if he's not, then he's like a four million dollar year point guard. And so it's just like, who are you going to get? But if you do have a have a GM out there, you know who's who may lose their point guard this summer to free agency and need somebody to come in and you know sort of on the not even rebuilding, but so, like I, I guess I'm thinking about Orlando with Jeff Weltman as the new GM. Alfred Payton is going to be a restricted free agent this summer. He didn't draft Alfred Payton. If they let Payton walk, that might be a destination for uh, for Schroeder's contract. They would have, they should have some space with with Payton off the books, and they could, uh, and and the Hawks could sort of think about at least sort of uh, dumping uh, dumping Schroeder there. Yeah, pretty much the two teams that people ask about the most are Orlando, as you mentioned, for obvious reasons, Peyton's going to be a free agent, etc., and the Suns, who the Suns are really the only team in the entire league that just does not have a point guard option right now. They have Brandon Knight, who has been injured, is out for, out for the season, making a lot of money, and they have Tyler Eulis, who I kind of like, but isn't going to be a starting point guard. Um, with that said, uh, I can't think of a worse, ma- a worse pairing in the backcourt together than Devin Booker and Dennis Schroeder. They don't really, uh, they don't really I mean, go the, well together. The, the <laughs> ideal version of Dennis Schroeder would fit nicely next to him the, the, as somebody the, the who can drive. And can, yeah. Or just the, the ideal version of like he can drive and kick sort of and he can play defense sort of. You know, and, and when you get his – when you get high-quality effort from Dennis, you can you could see how – you know he's the defensive guard, and and Booker is you know not very good on that end. Um, he's not a shooter, but Booker is. But but uh, Schroeder also can create his own shot with the ball in his hands. He can get to the basket. He can sort of pass, but that's still a work in progress. And it's just sort of the ideal version of Schroeder fits next to Booker. It's that you won't get the ideal version of Schroeder in Phoenix. Like that's just never going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I probably should explain that, but I'm glad you said that. Um, cause it's, it's interesting on Dennis. And just as a note, I actually tweeted about this a little bit earlier today, but Dennis's uh, shooting numbers are like subtly in the tank right now. And people aren't really noticing that. I actually was even surprised flipping through the numbers today. He's now shooting below 30% from three this season. And he is now a career, 32.5% three-point shooter and almost 900 attempts. So like that's a real sample of him being a flat-out bad three-point shooter. Uh, you know, last year there was some reason to be optimistic. He posted some positive numbers at times as a three-point shooter. This year that's that's regressed, and you know his his career best is about 35%. He probably needs to live in that range to be a starter 
and uh, you know it's just not there right now. This I'm not necessarily panicking about about this year because it's still it's a half season. It's not that big of a sample size to be shooting 30 percent. But for his career now, that's you know a, a pretty large sample of him being a pretty bad shooter. So just something to follow away there. And I think um, you know the great debate is whether you want Dennis Schroeder to be your point guard of the future. I am firmly in the no at this point in time. It's not impossible that he could improve. And I will be the first to say that the situation has not been favorable to him because he's not going to be a guy who's, who needs to be the number one option. But uh, some of his tendencies have not been great either defensively and all that fun stuff that we talk about all the time. So it makes it even more difficult to trade him because you have to find, as you said, as you said originally, a GM that's in love with Dennis Schroeder. And I'm not sure that guy really exists right now. You only need one, though, on the bright side. I mean, every, yeah. every you need one. And I think you need somebody who believes that they can fix that shot. Because it's the not, shot and the it defense—it's basically the whole. The, the, the defense is is so like the defense is there, like it's inside of him somewhere. You just have to dig it out. The shot is not like there is no shot inside of him. There is no three point shooter inside of him that you have to like sort of figure out. It's really like his feet are all over the place. Like if you watch him shoot three point shots, they are—they're not like Ricky Rubio ugly, but they are really ugly. Like it's just a weird. His you know limbs are all over the place. Like nothing is central it's very weird and so he like if you put him with like a real you know shot doctor in san antonio obviously they're not going to take a take a shot at him but if you, you put him in a system like that where they could really work on his shot and get him to where his feet stay centered and together and and everything sort of flows from there you know you could see him hit you know that 35 36 percent mark but you know the way it is now unless you Unless you have somebody already on your staff who can who can fix that shot, like I don't think I mean I certainly wouldn't take take a chance on him as as a as a, a rival GM. Yeah, I wouldn't either, and uh, that's sort of I know we're lower on the on on him than a lot of Hawks fans are, but uh, that's sort of where I am right now. Um, last thing before I let you get out of here, um, a couple of guys we talked about a little bit um, before we come, came on the podcast. Um, but as part of the George Hill uh, Cleveland stuff, um, apparently Sacramento is making two young guys available that I think are at least interesting names that could fit in Atlanta. They are Malachi Richardson and Scalabissier. Uh, candidly, I am not a Malachi Richardson, Malachi Richardson fan at all. He was actually somebody that I was extremely down on in the draft process, and that continues today. But you know, he's a, he's a first-round pick pretty recently, and people like him. And Scal, I was always higher on than most people were. were. So uh, either one of those guys sort of uh, strike your fancy a little bit. Obviously, we don't know the, the specifics, but apparently, you know, basically in short, uh, Sacramento has to clear a roster spot in order to uh, achieve the rumored George Hill deal that they're looking at. And if, in order to do that, they have to probably trade some money. Yeah, and the fact that they wouldn't just buy out or cut Vince Carter makes no sense. But if they have to Agreed. go, if, <laughs> the if they are going to go this route, if they're going to go this route, then Scal probably has more value and would make more sense, I guess, for the for the Hawks as sort of a a guy that they can sort of take a chance on and see, like, hey, I have a, you know, uh, you. I have a hypothetical that just hit me. I want to ask you before I before I, before I forget it. Uh, All right, would, go ahead. Would you trade the Houston pick for Scalabissier? No, I would. I would. I'm not that high on him. I would. Uh, though, granted, granted, understand though. I mean, the Houston picks going to be number 28 or 29. It's not like this is going to be. There's no mystery. That's on the fine. It's like there. Kyle Kuzma was taken with the 28th pick. I'm not saying it's a throwaway pick. It's there's, there's value in it. Right. It's, it's solid. Is, and the fact that you get four years of team control, restricted free agency, which I guess you do get with second rounders. But I just, I don't know. I would. Though I, I would guess the Hawks second rounders this year would be a little bit different because they can 
they'll probably be able to get three or four year contracts out of those second round picks anyway, just because they'll have the cap space to to negotiate that. Right. But would, anyway, would you, would you trade it? Would you trade? Would you trade Atlanta's own second rounder for him? Basically, going to be the thirty third pick or something like that. Would you? Would you do that? That. Yeah, that's. I think I would do that, and that difference is just because of that first the round contract. pick yeah. salary scale. You know exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be exact. You know, four years, no non guaranteed. Their team options. You know, it's just like that. Just I think those first round picks, like thirtieth, is just is that much better than thirty first even. Um, so I think that I would go with like the thirty third overall pick for for Scal. But even that's not like I'm not. I don't love that, but it's. I think that would be fine. Yeah, I, 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 that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Uh, and I, I know I'm higher on Scal. I could not believe when he fell as far as he did, um, frankly, in the draft. And I'm not saying that he's going to be a superstar because he's, he's probably not going to be at this point. That, that ship's probably sailed. Um, but he's an interesting guy who I, I've always valued at a pretty high level, even though I understand why people don't like him necessarily. Um, what about Richardson? I, I, I will be the first to admit that I am really not rational. I don't think on Malachi. I think... It, you know, the fact that he was a first-round pick originally kind of blew me away. I, I just never saw it, and I still, I still don't see it. He's been pretty bad in the NBA. Um, any interest at all from you? Maybe you're higher on him than I am. Not particularly. I'm lower on him than Scal, and I would say oh, that, yes. That's you not know, close, I wouldn't. Yeah, not even close, but it's not, like, definitely not even close. Like, it's really, it's super, I mean, would you, I'd give up the top 55 protected second-round pick that's not actually going to convey. I mean, that's I pretty mean, much it, though. I, like I'm not the Hawks. Don't, I'm not the, thing is, the Hawks don't. The Hawks don't have a roster spot technically, um, so they have to in order. To yeah, but they anybody. would. They'd be able to get rid of somebody oh, pretty I, I know easily. If that was. I'm, 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 yeah. just, I'm trying to think out loud of like a scenario where I would give up anything from Malcolm Richardson. I guess. I guess yeah. I guess that that uh, the you know a, a outside the top 45 second round pick would probably be appropriate for Malachi. But I mean. I don't know. I, I just don't see it at all. I never have. Uh, but yeah, I guess I, I think they, they probably could get something better than I would give for him, let's just say. And, but if I was the Kings, I would, I would be trading. If, they, if they've already soured on Scowl, it seems like they have, I'd be trading him because someone will buy on Scowl. I have a pretty good feeling. Yeah, that. someone will. Someone like you will give up a first round pick, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that would be my first <laughs> offer, but I think if, that, yeah, like, if it was like it a take it or leave that, it. And it was the Houston pick specifically, which I know full stop is going to be 28 or 29. I think I would probably do that. I know that's kind of – it's probably insane to be honest because he's you know he's already in year two. So you're really, you're really only getting two years of team control plus restricted. So that's the argument against it. But I, I like Scal. I think he can play. I think we've seen that. You know, Get him out of Sacramento too, which is the place where people go to die. I mean there's a lot of that second draft potential with him that you don't see with a lot of – I mean, even more so in Sacramento, just because that's a situation where no one ever does well. I mean, even guys who are who actually become good um, have issues when they leave there. So, anyway, um, just wanted to we spoke about that. Go ahead, go ahead. I think it would be Scal also just for just a second rounder or a late first like that would just be such a weird fit because they already. I mean, the Hawks already have a million big guys and just add him to the mix for another, you know, as another big guy, assuming he takes the roster spot of a guy like Bellinelli, um, who, you know, assuming, uh, you know, I just, I assume at this point that he'll either get traded or bought out, uh, before the, uh, before the deadline. So that, you know, now instead of like six centers, now they've got seven and they're going to try to play Would they try to play three of them together just to do it. Like, I don't, you know, it would just for this year only, it would just be such a, a weird fit for to try to, uh, to try to incorporate him into the team. Yeah, I mean, this year only is that's that's a good point. But I mean, 
just <laughs> there's no way I would uh, make that decision based on the the likes of Tyler Cavanaugh and Miles Plumley and whatever else whatever whatever other expiring contracts you have. I, I also think even Dwayne Dedman. Yeah, Dedman is we'll, the one we'll that's interesting, but I think he's going to opt out. Yeah, I mean, same, you, were, you and I are on the same page with that one. I think we were pretty surprised to hear some people that we trust not thinking that he was going to opt out. I think he's probably going to opt out. I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't. But you know, listen, if he opts in, it's great for the Hawks because he's. A bargain at six million dollars, and the Hawks can trade him. Later. Yeah, I mean he's not a he's not like just an unbelievable bargain, but no, like I it, think but he, it's value. he could he could opt out and get you know a mid level exception for eight and a half million next year. Oh, I and if he wants confident. to give up that two and a half million to stay in Atlanta, where he seems to be happier at least than he was in San Antonio and Orlando, then yeah, I mean he might he might opt in just to to go that route, but he you know I purely from a financial perspective, I would advise him to opt out and go get a mid-level exception somewhere. Yep, I uh, totally agree on that. Uh, anyway, we've probably uh, put together the most random collection of podcast topics <laughs> in the history of this podcast, so I definitely appreciate that. Anything else you want to get out there, man? I know the deadline is so difficult to talk about, especially for a team like the Hawks that have all of these guys who could get moved. I think you agree with me at this point that Bellinelli is the most likely to move just because, as you mentioned kind of uh, quickly there, the Hawks could certainly buy him out, and I actually expect him to probably do that if he doesn't get traded. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. If he's on this roster by mid-March, that somebody screwed up. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I mean, Something got messed up. Either his agent screwed up or the Hawks screwed up. Somebody along the way, something went wrong if he is still on the roster, even past February 8th. Like, there's a contender out there who can use him as a bench scorer, as somebody who can just fill it up from, you know, from the bench and just – yeah, he. You know, everybody knows what he is, but that doesn't mean that his value is diminished in that way. He doesn't play defense; he can play offense. And if you need that, then that's something that uh, that you should definitely go for. Somebody like Oklahoma City, a team like Houston, can use uh, somebody else that they can that they can trust to come off the bench and at least keep the offense relatively afloat. I mean, we saw in Houston what Gerald Green did in in a few days. Yeah. You know, he just came off the street and was hitting five or six threes a game and was just killing it for them. Like, Bellinelli can play that role, but even better than J.R. Green is is playing it currently for, for the Rockets. So if, if a team out there needs somebody like that to just come in, be the ninth man, be the tenth man, you know, and just fill it up when, when they are hot and sit on the bench when they're not, like, that's, that's what Marco Bellinelli does. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's February 9th, I am buying him out. Yes, uh, I, I, I would not want Marco Bellinelli around. That's not a shot at Marco Bellinelli. It's just if he's on the team, Bud's going to play him, and that doesn't do anybody any any good. That's my whole thing. You have to, yeah, you have to I mean, especially if DeAndre himself. Bembry gets back healthy, you know, assuming he's assuming he's fine and ready ready to get back out there. There's you know, there's just no reason to keep giving Bellinelli minutes other than just to keep him happy. But like he's an expiring contract anyway. There's really, I mean, he needs to be bought out before the All Star break. Essentially, just get it good let him move on it's not like oh this guy's a cancer and we need to get rid of him he seems like a fine guy he seems like he's a good teammate everybody seems to like him everybody celebrates when he hits threes it's not a a negative situation in that way but it's just a you can go help somebody else and we don't need you and you're sort of blocking some of the young guys even a guy like tyler dorsey who's been getting minutes recently like give you know start to give dorsey instead of play him 20 minutes a night in march i mean yeah screw it you might as well i mean it's it's Right. Bellinelli's not helping you in the future, and you never know what Tyler Dorsey might uh, 
might be able to turn into. They're already I giving mean, him minutes. I would rather know, see Andrew of, White than Mark Bellinelli in March, and I have no idea what to make of Andrew uh, White. Sure, but I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't know because that, you don't know. And with Bellinelli, you yeah. know exactly what he is. He's not going to be on the team next year. I'm pretty confident in that. He was only on the team now because of the Dwight Howard trade, which worked out fine so far. I know Dwight's been pretty decent, but uh, th- that was not about Dwight. It was getting off of that contract. So anyway, it's one of those things where, you know, as we kind of both said there, I think if, I think he's, I think he's going to get traded for basically nothing. I, I'm expecting the Hawks to get a second round pick for him, and not a good one. Probably one in the f- 40s and 50s, somewhere in there, which is fine. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You didn't give up anything um, in terms of that. You just part ways. Thanks, thanks, Marco, for coming out. The Hawks have been worse. With him on the court, he has the worst net rating on the team for a reason. <laughs> so, like, it's not like even my, my thing with Marco is that even if you were trying to win, and of course the players and coaches are trying to win, he doesn't help you do that. He's he's not good. Like the Hawks are worse when he when he plays, and that's not a coincidence because his defense is so bad that you have to cover up for him, and the Hawks just don't have the bias to do that. So, yeah, free Tower Dorsey and do whatever else you want to after Bell is gone. It would be pretty funny if the George Hill thing falls apart or just somehow if Bellinelli gets retraded for Malachi Richardson again, I think that would be pretty funny. That would be because like value wise, I feel like that would be relatively okay. Like just, you know, in terms of what those guys values are, but it would just be, I think it would be really funny if that got traded. Those two guys, exact, those two guys got traded for each other again. Again, that would be a very NBA thing to be sure. Uh, all right, Jeff, we've, we've rambled on for long enough, man. Uh, please plug anything you'd like to. I know you're always a busy, man, so get it out there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. You can follow my work about the Hawks at Peachtree Hoops. You can follow my work about the Blazers. I've got something coming out on Thursday on CJ McCollum for uh, Blazers Edge. You can find everything else, the other 28 teams, and anything else I'm thinking about over at Fansided's and Step Back. And that's about it. There you go. It's a long, it's a laundry list. You sound like me these days, which is I'm proud of you. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, thanks for coming on, man. As always, we'll do it again soon. All right, thanks. As for everybody else, we'll uh, be back live from Phillips Arena on Wednesday night as the Hawks are in action against in action against the Raptors for a home game. So we'll see how that turns out. I have a feeling probably not that well for the Hawks, but still, you know, it'll be fun. It's a home game. The Hawks should be playing it better at home. Maybe they'll give the Raptors a good run. And if nothing else, we'll see you guys on Thursday morning. <laughs>